0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at one PM for the trip of a lifetime. Shabuah tov! Uh, w- welcome to one hundred uh, one point nine High FM. I am Adol Kazilski, and I will be learning some Torah with you now for the next three quarters of an hour. And not only Shabuatov, tov; it should be a good week, but Chodesh tov. Today is Rosh Chodesh, we are welcoming in the month of Iyar, the month of healing, the month that is um, in between the festival of Pesach and Shavuot, we are fulfilling the mitzvah of counting the Omer every single night, and it is a very special month because it is a month of healing, and it says that in this month, the radiance of Hashem, the Hashpa'ah, um, as, it's, uh, as we say in in, um, in Hebrew, the influence or the, the, the divine light of God is found very much in this world. And we have the ability to heal ourselves, not only heal ourselves physically, but heal ourselves emotionally, spiritually and mentally. And one of the ways of healing, there are many, um, is that one needs to give food to the soul. One needs to give to spirituality as much as one, you know, gives physical food and gives food to the soul. And so you're on Soul to Soul, and we are going to feed our souls. And the best way to feed your souls is to learn Torah. So if you are at home and you are relaxing and you're sitting in the chair listening to the show, please be my guest. Go over to your bookshelf, take out a Bible, take out a Chumash. We are starting a brand new Parsha. We're starting the Parsha of Vayetze, and it is the seventh Parsha, the seventh um, portion of the Book of Bereshit. We started all the way back to Bereshit. If you do want to uh, catch up all the, the learning there, you'd be again, um, it's very, very easy. You can go to com to the podcasts, and you can look on my show, and you can get previous learning so that you can get things in context. But before Pesach, we finished up uh, the Pasha of Toldot, and now we are starting the Pasha of Vayete. So that, if anybody is looking directly into Chumash, is chapter 28, Perik Chofchet, and it is Pasuk Yud. It's the 10th verse of chapter 28. Just to put into context where we are picking up the story, we have... Yaakov um, now running away from his brother Esav because he allegedly, and I'm underlining the word allegedly because it wasn't really true, but he stole the blessings of Esav. And um, Esav became very, very angry. Rivka became very, very worried for the life of Yaakov. And so she tells Yaakov and she further convinces Yitzchak, her husband, to tell Yaakov that he should leave town leave the land of Israel, and go back to Haran. What is in Haran? Haran is the place where Abraham came from. It's where the, the, the family um, of his grandfather resides. Abraham and Sarah came from Haran, and we know very well that when Yitzchak was ready to get married, um, Yitzchak sent Eliezer back to Haran to get a wife from Abraham's family, family that was to be Rivka and now again um, We see it through the third generation that Yaakov is uh, Is commanded to leave the land of Israel and go to Haran to find a Wife it was on the pretense to find a wife. He did go find a wife In fact, he didn't only find one wife He found two wives and two concubines and from this entire trip that we are going to go through with him You will see that in fact he fathers the entire Jewish nation but he's also running away in order to save himself from his brother Esau. Esau was very vengeful. He was very, very angry. And um, it was a matter of trying to save oneself physically. Um, that is of, of, of a, a lot of importance. So let's get stuck into the verses. We're going to go, as I said, chapter uh, 28, verse 10. It's just a couple of words, but it's laden with a lot, a lot of information. Va'yetzeh Yaakov. Yaakov went out, and that's, by the way, if anybody wow. doesn't know, we call the parsha, we call the portion we read by the first word of the of of the new parsha. Va'yetzeh Yaakov. So we're doing the parsha of Va. Vayetze. Va'yetzeh Yaakov, and Yaakov left mi be'er Shava from be'er Sheva, and he starts heading towards Haran. So what does this verse tell us? Like we did see in the previous verses where Rivka and then consequently Yitzhok tells Yaakov, get up, go, go to Haran and go and find yourself a wife. Well, if that's true, why do you have to tell us that he left Beersheba and he started traveling towards Haran? We know where he's going. We know where you've told him to go. Why repeat it again? We know that in Torah you do not repeat things that are inconsequential or don't, or you don't, it's, it's there's a, a fact already. You don't have to repeat it. So we're told that even though this statement might seem redundant, there are three lessons that we can learn. The first is, first lesson is that although Rivka and Yitzchak, Isaac and Rebekah, told Yaakov to go to Haran. He, Yaakov, did not want to leave the Holy Land. Now, there is an entire, there's an entire set of halachot, an entire set of laws about leaving the land of Israel. It's not simple. And um, we kind of like understand it being simple today. Um, and it really, this is about Um, Essentially, when you live in the land of Israel and wanting to emigrate, you can leave for um, a temporary time, according to most people. Some people are even stricter than that and won't leave the land of Israel unless completely necessary. But the majority of rabbis hold you can leave, you know, to go on holiday and come back again. But once you live in the land of Israel, it is questionable as um, if you can leave and go live elsewhere. Now, he was allowed, according to Halakha, you are allowed to leave the land of Israel in order to find a wife. But you could argue that that could have been done by proxy, because we saw that that, in fact, is what happened with Yitzchak, his father. Right? Um, Yitzchak didn't leave the land of Israel. He was very, very particular not leaving the land of Israel. In, in, um, In fact, he's considered a tamim, somebody that's very pure simply because he never so to speak, defiled himself by leaving the diaspora. So if that happened with Yitzchak, Abraham sent Eliezer as a proxy to go find him a wife, why can't the same be done with Yaakov? Well, you can argue that Yaakov was fleeing from Esav, nobody was trying to kill Yitzchak, his father, but now he's got his brother who wants to kill him. Um, And we could even argue even more that He could have, and he did, go learn in the yeshiva of Shem and Ava, which was close to Jerusalem. So if living in the land of Israel is extremely precious, you should try to do absolutely everything for not leaving. Send a proxy, send another Eliezer, let him go back to Haran, and let him find a wife, and uh, you know, just change places. Go elsewhere so that you're not in Asaph's sight, and you're not trying to... To, to, to argue with Asav, um, so the first lesson that we learn is that the Torah says Vayete Yaakov Be'er Sheva. It doesn't say that he actually left home. Home was in Hebron. This is saying that he exited from Be'er Sheva, which comes to teach us that he was worried about leaving. And in fact, he went from Hebron to Beersheba, and in Beersheba was where he wanted to get divine permission to leave the land of Israel. And only then would he make his way to Haran. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back. I'm Adel Kozlowski, and I can see on the feed, Joseph. Thank you for missing me and uh, waiting for the, the teachings of Torah at 1 o'clock. Yes, there was a, a lot of Pesach and a lot of stuff happening, um, but I'm also glad to be back and sharing Torah's wisdom with you. We are studying Chapter 28, Verse 10. Um, it is the beginning of a new portion, Parshat Vayetze. And just before the break, we were discussing the question as to why the verse is saying something really redundant, that Yaakov left Beersheba and he was moving off onto Haran. Like, we know where he was supposed to go. It was told about 15 times before he left. The seemingly is redundant. And the first thing that we learned is that there is a problem with leaving the land of Israel. And so when you actually zoom in on it, it didn't say, Vayete Yaakov me Hevron. That Yaakov left Hebron because that's where he lived with his parents. He left from Beersheba, which means and it insinuates that he actually travelled from Hebron down to Beersheba, and he still waited for divine um, permission to leave. And then by Yelecharana he started walking towards Haran. So that's the first thing we learn from this verse. The second is that we know that when a tzaddik, when a saint, lives in a city, it says he has beauty and he has radiance, which means that when you have that presence um, in, a, in, a, in, in a city, when, when you have somebody that is, uh, that, that is living there, that is of huge spiritual value, people are embarrassed to do wrong because that person is in the city. And it says he will also have an effect on them and they would probably want to emulate his ways. And even it says interpersonal relationships would improve because of the Tzaddik, because of the Seiki person that leaves it. Therefore, when a Tzaddik leaves a place, it leaves um, the place without a shield. Everybody starts doing what they want. The young will insult the old because they've got nobody to learn from. They've got no example to emulate. So, interestingly, the Midrash goes on a little bit of a tangent, but explains something. It says, therefore, the Torah says, Vayetze Yaakov Be'er Sheva. He left Be'er Sheva. So the Midrash says, what does the Torah mean by this? Since Yaakov was not the only one who left Be'er Sheva. Maybe he left with many donkeys and camels. Why does the Torah have to tell us that only Jacob left? And even more, the question of the Midrash is kind of like difficult to understand because then if he did leave, surely we should be told how he left. We should be provided with a list of animals that left Be'er Sheva. And the Torah doesn't tell us that either. Now, just as a precedent, um, why are we saying this type of thing? Because if you go look back in the Tanakh, in the, 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 the Bible as a whole, in Ezra, you can actually look at it in chapter 2, verse 66. It talks about when the Jews came back to Israel from Babel, right? It says they came back and it also enumerates all their horses, all their mules, all their donkeys, etc., etc., why would the Torah go and say that the Jews came back and then also talk about how many donkeys and mules and and horses, etc.? Because it says, when a, a Jew is involved in the vital act of returning to Jerusalem, okay, um, the Torah will enumerate the number of people and the property to show that Hashem loves people who accomplish good, and when He speaks about them, He does so in length and in detail. Well... We know Jacob was also embarking on a good deed. Why? Because he was obeying his parents. He was going to seek a wife. And the Torah should therefore have enumerated that Jacob left and should also have said he left with so many animals and so much property, um, etc., etc. The Torah only says, 'er It looks like he left, as we say in South Africanism, stokalirn. (laughs) <laughs> just by himself. He didn't go with absolutely everything. And that is really the question that the Midrash is asking. Why Yatesh, Yaakov, only Yaakov left? How come Yaakov and his possessions didn't leave? Where was all his possessions? I mean, when when Eliezer went to Haran to go find a wife for his father, he left with ten camels worth of of, of stuff laden on it. Um for for uh, uh, for for Rivka. So what happened with Yaakov? Well, there's two things. Okay, the midrash goes and replies. Firstly, when Jacob left, it made such a huge difference to the city that his very departure, his very individual departure, was more obvious than any other goods he might have taken along. So it was irrelevant for the Torah to go and tell us, well, he took 10 donkeys and 5 mule and 6 six horses and whatever else he would have taken. Why? Because he was so great in stature that it was actually irrelevant what they were taking. They were taking – that. His, sorry, his very presence actually um, created a, a a hole in the place, as we said. Second of all, we must realize that at that point in time in the land of Israel – Three tzaddikim were living. Three righteous, three saintly people were living. Yitzchak, Rivka, and Yaakov, his mother, his father, and himself. Now, one, one tzaddik does not make an, as much as an impression as two. For example, if you have um, precious stones, and you have a two-carat diamond, we know it's worth much more than twice as much as a one-carat diamond. Which means a, a matched pair of particularly fine stones is worth more than twice as much as each of them individually. So the fact that they were living together, the, 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 the merit of this, of, of the saintliness of the three of them living together was far greater, um, when they lived together as opposed to when they lived at home. And so when Yaakov left, what happened was, by Yeitze Yaakov, these words are coming to teach us that the, the merits of Yitzhak and Rebecca and Rivka were diminished. So this comes to really teach us to have an appreciation about living in a place where there is, there are tzaddikim, there are saints. And, and also that if a saint moves from one city to another, it makes a great impression. And by extension, we can also go and say that how much more true this is, is when, God forbid, a righteous person leaves this world. We weep and we mourn that great loss because um, they have a tremendous influence on the place. So the Midrash looks at this by Yitzhak Yaakov and says, well, firstly, why didn't they mention his possessions? Because his possessions didn't count. He was so enormous in stature himself. It was actually irrelevant how many donkeys and horses and cows left the place. Second of all, when it says Vayetzer Yaakov, it is indicative of the fact that he was diminishing the saintliness of the combined good that him and his parents had brought to the world. Thirdly, it says besides fleeing from Esau, Yaakov actually had another reason for leaving. And that is hinted in the fact that they're not saying that he left from Hebron, but rather that he left from Beersheba. Let's understand that. If you remember back in, in time, for those of you that have joined me for a while, um, if not, nevertheless, you can, um, you can look back, you can go look at chapter 21. Chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 23 we saw there that Abraham made an oath to Abimelech, who was the king of Gerar, who lived in the area of Beersheba. And he said, I promise," said Abraham to Avimelech, that I will not harm you, your children, or your grandchildren. That was the promise he gave. And so to speak, Yaakov was under oath. He was afraid, okay, that if he met with Abimelech Abimelech would insist that he too fulfill the oath of his father and of his grandfather sorry and that he would also have to make a promise that for another 3 generations he would not harm the 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 the, the, the now if he did make such an oath the consequence of that would be that many years down the line it would delay the conquest of the of the land of Israel, okay? Uh, because God gave the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, to his children. And instead of counting three generations from Abraham to fulfill the promise Abraham gave, the, the Bnei Israel would have had to wait three generations from the time of Yaakov before invading the land. And so he didn't want to do that. So in order to av- av- avoid this, Yaakov goes to Haran, And it says, Jacob left Be'er Sheva, meaning he left. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. He left hoping that old Abimelech would die before he returned. He did have intention to come come back to the land of Israel, but he didn't want to get involved into any legality as to why he left the land of Israel. Now, this is not said in the verses. It said, uh, it's said in the Midrash But there's a whole story About Yaakov leaving Be'er Sheva and going to Haram. The Midrash explains That when Yaakov was Leaving Be'er Sheva, If you recall He left behind a very, very Angry brother So Asav Decided how's he going to Wreak vengeance on Yaakov He called his son Eliphaz. And he said to his son Eliphaz, I want you to take your sword and I want you to find Yaakov. I want you to intercept Yaakov on the road and do away with him and chuck his body in the mountains. And that will be a good thing because you know what? You will then be able to take all the wealth that he has with him and return home. And nobody's going to know any of the difference. So go. Go kill him. Now just... To put into context, Eliphaz was only 13 years old. He had become like his father. Nevertheless, he had matured very early. He was already very powerfully built and a champion warrior. And he figured, that's 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 pie, that's easy. He took 10 of his men with him, and he intercepted Yaakov in a mountain pass near Shechem, and Yaakov is standing there, and he says he sees strangers approaching at a distance, and he gets very nervous, so he waits to see what they wanted. And Eliphaz rocks up with his men, and they surround Yaakov with drawn swords. Where are you going? says Yaakov. Obviously, he recognizes it. This is his nephew. Are you off to war? Why are you so heavily armed? What are you doing in this area? So Eliphaz replied, I' am under orders from my father. I dare not disobey him. Yaqub then realizes that this was going to be an assault against him, and so he had to try start wrangling him way his way out. He had to try and work out what it is that he could do. So he says to Eliphaz, Listen, instead of killing me, I will give you all of my possessions, both what i have my, I myself have and both what my parents have given me. And just spare my life. And then you know what? You can go back to your father because in truth you have obeyed your father's orders since when a man is destitute, it says when a man is poor it is as if he is considered dead. So instead of taking my physical life take everything that I own, there you go, take it away and um, you can consider it as if you killed me. Because I have nothing left, I'm destitute. Well, God made Eliphaz have, uh, have mercy, have pity on Yaakov and he agreed. He took everything that Yaakov had, even his food, and he returned home, leaving Yaakov again, Stokhalian, all by himself, completely empty-handed. And then he comes home and Eliphaz relates what had happened to his father Asav, and, as you can just imagine, Esav was furious, okay? Furious that he had spared Yaakov's life. But when Esav realized um, that Yaakov had been left with nothing but the clothes on his back, he too, says the Midrash, calmed down because he knows that when a man has nothing, he is no better than dead. Going back to that, if you are destitute, you are considered dead according to Torah. So that is what the midrash says, um, and that is what happened when he left Be'er Sheva and he was moving on the way to Haran. There is another midrash that gives another slant on the story, and that is is that Esav himself decided to pursue Yaakov. Um, now, miraculously, what happened was the sun set only after ten hours, instead of being in the in the sky for twelve hours as it usually is. It's um, it set early And we will see later In the next verse That it says Vayif gabamakom, He came to a place And he lay there kivah Because the sun had set Okay This is not just telling us that the sun sets We know the sun rises and the sun sets It's It's pretty obvious Here it's saying that the sun set to teach us That in fact the sun had set prematurely So Yaakov sets out. He's on his way, on his journey. Asap is furious. He chases him. God causes a miracle. And the sun sets prematurely. What did that do? That caused dark, darkness to descend. And therefore, Asap didn't have any idea of how he could track Yaakov. The next morning, um, Aesop wakes up, and he says, no, I'm going to prepare an ambush along a regular road. And he says, when Yaakov passes by here, I'll jump out, and I'll kill him. God intervenes again, and uh, he performs a miracle, and with his staff, Yaakov, that that stick that he walks with, Yaakov was able to part the waters of the Jordan River that were beside him, and he crossed over and what happened is, is he continued his journey on the other side of the river. So Esau is sitting on the one side of the river, on the road, waiting for him to park, path. And um, what happened was that Yaakov split the, the, the Jordan River, walked across, and he was walking on the other side of the river. So there's Esau waiting. Um, Esau understands that Yaakov hasn't rocked up. And he's crossed the Jordan River. It says, okay, well, there's only one road on the other side. He will hide in a cave overlooking the highway and he will get Yaakov when he, he'll see Yaakov when he's moving. But what had happened is that Yaakov on the other side of the Jordan River came across a hot spring. He was exhausted. He was emotionally drained, physically drained. He was tired from running away. So he rested at the hot springs. And he took a very relaxing, uh, relaxing bath. So he didn't travel. And Asaph was sitting there waiting for him. And Asaph waited and waited, and he got tired of waiting, because, I don't know, for him, Yaakov had disappeared off the planet. So he went home, and so he did not fulfill his plan of killing his brother, Another opinion does go and say that he didn't go kill his brothers because he realized that in fact what he had done when he was much younger was wrong and that he himself was trying to do now. He was trying to repent and to try and reinstate himself in the eyes of his parents and in fact he didn't change him, chase him at all. Others say that there was nothing to chase for you with Yaakov because Yaakov had in fact left empty handed. And it says that God was very angry with Isaac and he said to his father Yitzchak, Is that what your father did to you? Did your father not give you many gifts before you left? Did he not give Eliezer 10 camel loads of uh, the most precious possessions before he, he sought a wife for you? How can a father send his son away empty handed? And it said as a punishment, as a result, God took the power of prophecy um, away from Yitzhak for the rest of his life. So we have many, many opinions as to what the the, the, the Chumash is teaching us from the verse, and he left Beersheba and he went to Koran. But I think that the most powerful lesson is that we need to look and we need to focus on the the righteousness of Jacob, we're going to go for a little bit of a break, and when we get back, we're going to discuss this a little further. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and uh, we're following Jacob as he is traveling out of the um, out of Eretz Israel, and as we said just before the break. There, there is one point that needs to be emphasized the most out of all the different opinions that we have. And that is is that Jacob had reached such a high spiritual um, level. He was such a saint that he trusted in God, even though he was empty-handed. You know, his parents were very wealthy, but if we follow the, the idea that either they didn't give him anything or it was stolen from Eliphaz, Okay. Um, the bottom line is he was very, very content where where he would be. And if you actually look in Tehillim, in in Psalms, in in chapter 146, I'm trying to go and see if on my desk I do have a Psalms, I do not. Um, I will give you the English trans- translation. But if you look at uh, chapter 146. Ah, here I have one. You can bear with me just for a wee moment. I am going to read it to you in uh, the Hebrew and then in the English. Um, you will see that um, King David actually says it very, very, um, very, very interestingly, and it refers here to the trust of Yaakov. Okay, it says like this, Ashrei She'el Yaakov Ezra. Happy is the, the 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 one who is helped by the God of Jacob, Shivru al Hashem Eloka, whose hope is God, his his Lord. Okay, so this is what King David says. Happy is he who is helped by Jacob's God, whose hope is God. So now you can see over here that what King David was emphasizing that happy is the one who's helped by whose God? Yaakov's God. Why Yaakov's God? Because it says that Yaakov trusted in God more than in his own parents. And in the end, what happened was that God gave him much good. The, The fact that he left in such a trusting manner, that this is what God wanted him to do, and this is where God wanted him to be, that was an absolutely incredible, incredible um, show of his saintlihood. Now, let's understand this a little bit more. That Jacob was 63 years old when he received his father's blessing. Okay. He's told to leave. He actually does not go to Haran straight away. We are told that he goes and he spends 14 years in the Academy of Sheinver Aver, and he only then travels to Haran at the age of 77. If you just wanted to know that, uh, like just in the timeline, that would be the year 1576 before the Common Era. In the Jewish calendar, it would be in the year 2185. What really did happen was that when Yaakov was coming close to Haran, he left Be'er Sheva, he was coming close to Haran, he thought to himself, How could I have passed by Mount Moriah? Remember Mount Moriah was where his father Yitzhak was bound on the altar. How could I have passed that? My father was bound there, my parents went there to pray, and I didn't go. And what he actually did is he made a U-turn. He immediately turned around and he started making his way to Moriah. And it says as soon as he started back, God shortened his way and he immediately found himself near the mountain. So just like God in, in previous uh, verses that we learned, shortened Eliezer's journey from Hebron to Haran, okay, similarly, he now shortened the way back to, uh, to Maria. Now Maria, what is very close to Maria, Shame the Aver. And so, Jacob comes past Maria, he stops there to pray, okay, and then, he goes to the Ve'ever. He spends 14 years there. And then he goes to Haran. So in truth, he goes Hebron, Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva almost to Haran. Reverse from Haran. Go back, go to Haramariah, where we see that you'll have the famous dream. And then um, he spends 14 years in Yeshiva there. And only then does he actually leave the land of Israel physically, and he goes and goes to find a wife. We're going to start just a little bit of the next verse. The next verse, there is a tremendous amount of things to say, but let's see how time uh, uh, treats us. By Yifka Bamakom, he approaches Hamakom, the place, the place. It doesn't tell you what the place is, but Haramaria is called the place. Va'yalein and he spends the night there. Kivah Hashemish, because the sun had set. We know why the sun had set. The sun had set early because Asa was trying to chase after him, and God gave him uh, the the provided him with the uh, cover of darkness. Va'yalein sham, kivah Va'yikach hamakom, he takes from the stones of the place. Vayasim me'roshatav, he puts it around his head by Yishkav, by Makwamahu, and he goes to sleep in that place. We are definitely going to have to visit us, visit this verse, uh, next week and completely dissect it because there is so much anomaly about it. We're going to go for a, a little break and we, I'm just going to mention one thing and then I'm going to have to keep you in suspense until next week where we will have the opportunity of dissecting it more fully. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we just got one or two minutes, so let's just bring out one point over here. We are going to dissect this verse again next week, and that is that in Parashas Vayera we learned that Abraham ordained the, the morning prayer, the prayer of Shachrit, um, and in Chayesara we learned how Yitzchak ordained the prayer of Mincha, the afternoon service. This verse um, is indicating that Yaakov now ordained the evening prayer, the prayer of Marev. Um, so we have Shachret, Mincha and Marev, the morning, afternoon and evening prayers, um, each of them ordained by one of our forefathers. We know that the, one of the 248 positive commandments is to recite the Shema in the evening. Um, that is you only can recite the Shema when three stars become visible in the night sky, and it forms part of what is known tonight as the Marev prayer. Um, a very, very important prayer. It says that it, it is the time when one does a Heshbuna Nefesh, one looks at what is one accomplished during the day and comes to rectify it. So I want to leave you with that thought, thought today. And please God, next week I will be back at the same time, same place. We're going to revisit this, uh, this, this verse and we're going to look at it in its entirety because there are really a lot of fascinating concepts behind it. So Shavua Tov, Chodesh Tov, and I'll be back next week.